0: Almighty and everlasting God, we do well always and everywhere to give you praise and thanks through our Lord, Jesus Christ. And we do that this morning. We thank you for the power of your word. And we ask that you would grant us grace to understand your word. I ask for the grace and unction of your spirit to explain and preach your word in its purity in a way that is pleasing to you. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would teach us as you have been teaching your people through all of history. O Lord, change us through the power of your voice, your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. The last verse in 1 John. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. In a very real way, that verse sums up the Christian life. In a very real way. That verse sums up. What the Christian ministry is. If you read the prophets of the Old Testament. The preachers of the Old Testament. Who were different than myself. Let me just make that clear. The vast majority of their ministry. Is not telling the future. Prophesying about what is going to happen. Three or four hundred years in the future. The vast majority of the prophets message Is. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Stop serving the Baals. Stop, stop serving Ashtaroth. Stop, stop serving this, this God or that God, and turn back to Yahweh. That's the vast majority of it. And when you read the New Testament and you see the great um, sermons preached by the apostles in the Book of Acts. This is basically what they are saying. Turn to God so that times of refreshing can be had. Jesus himself, his message is repetitive. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. John here as a pastor has told us many things in these five chapters. And he sums it up by once again calling us little children. It's not a term of derision. It's a term of endearment for we are to have a childlike faith a child a very young child an infant, a toddler especially has to have complete and implicit trust in their parents they have to because they are completely dependent upon their parents for everything you cannot tell a two month old well if you're hungry, go in the fridge and find yourself some peanut butter and jelly You can say that to a 15-year-old. They have a little bit more experience with bread, with peanut butter, with jelly, and with butter knives. You can't do that to a little child. We have to realize that as little children, we are dependent upon God. But we are not to be childish. The scriptures urge us on to maturity. The writer of the book of Hebrews upbraids his... Listeners, his first audience, who at that time had only been Christians for about thirty years, he tells them in Hebrews chapter six that by that time they should have been teachers, but they were still what he called milk drinkers. They he could not. He said, "I cannot feed you meat. I cannot, for all you can do is sip milk." And they had only been Christians for about thirty years. The resurrection had only occurred some thirty years before that. We are to have a childlike faith, a faith that is dependent upon God, a faith that believes the voice of God, that believes what God says is true, that believes the propositions that God gives us in the Scriptures are true. But we are not to be childish. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. We are to grow into men and women. Even those of us who are already men and women. We are to grow into mighty oaks of righteousness and faith. And one of the primary ways that this actually occurs is to keep ourselves from idols. Idol worship is the essence of all sin. Now in our tradition, in the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition, we don't have statues. We never have Actually, some of our Scots and Scots-Irish forebears um, had great glee going into Roman Catholic churches uh, in the past, four or five hundred years ago, and smashing statues. Smashing statues. Taking them out and dragging them out. If they were wood, they would burn them. To the shock of the Catholics and the Anglicans. And many of us think that worshiping an idol means just that, only bowing down to you know, something that's made of stone or steel or wood. Now, that's certainly the first thing that it means. This was written in the first century. We don't know exactly where these people were from, but idols were very, very they're common today in the world all of the animistic and polytheistic religions, you always see uh, pictures of their uh, so-called gods, statues of their so-called gods. Sacred trees, things of that nature. Sacred places, such of that nature. In the first century, the world was littered with idols. John is telling them, literally, keep yourselves from idols. So the first meaning of this really means that to keep ourselves from statues, pictures, etc., etc., etc. These are violations of the second commandment. Now, if you are bowing down to a statue of a false god, god X, Y, Z, it doesn't matter what his or her name is, that's a violation of the first commandment. You're worshipping the wrong god. It's not really a violation of the second one, because the second one prohibits us making representations of the true god. Now when you break the second one you're, you're breaking the first whenever you break any commandment you automatically break the first one. But we are not allowed the second commandment forbids us to make pictures of God of any of the persons of the Trinity and to use them in any way, shape or form as an intentional or unintentional object of worship or an aid to worship. You cannot do that. That's the first and primary import of this passage, but it goes much deeper than that. We can rid ourselves of statues, pictures, and all of that, and still be idol worshippers. Because we can turn anything in our lives into an idol. An idol is very simply anything that takes the place of the living God. Now think about your life. Think about human life in general. You can turn... Anything almost instantly into an idol. It doesn't even have to be something physical. The approval of another person. We can turn our children into idols. Children can turn their parents into idols. Husbands and wives can turn each other into idols husband and wife together can turn their marriage into an idol. Now all of those human relationships that I just spoke of are to be cherished, are to be nurtured, are to be strengthened. But if we put them in the place of God then they might, we might as well make a statue of them. By the way just as a side note um, presidential portraits and things of that nature if you have pictures of yourself up in your house that's that's not a problem. You're allowed to have photos and, and like that of your Forebears. If you have somebody famous in your family tree, and you get a painting made of them. It's not a problem unless it brings about an exorbitant amount of pride in your heart. Then, then you're transgressing a number of commandments. But what are the idols in your life? I know that you have them because you're sinners. And sin is idol worship. At any moment that any of us sin, what we're actually doing is we're worshiping ourselves. We are saying, even for a brief moment, I will be God of my life. I am in charge. That is the essence of all sin. The desire to be on God's throne. Even if it's just for a moment, even if we're not really thinking that at the time, none of us would actually say, well, I'm going to pretend to be God right now. Going to play make believe. Children play make believe. They pretend that they're this superhero or that superhero or, or this famous person. It's completely different than pretending to be God. And when you sinned last night, this morning, when you sinned this afternoon, when I do the same thing, we are playing make believe. You're saying, I will be God. I am in charge of my life. This is my free time. Think of the way we speak of things. This is my time. This is my, 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 my. Now, yes, if you work and you own a car, it's yours. This is not psychological communism. God is into property rights. Thou shalt not steal. You work, you buy the car, it's yours. Somebody else can't take it or appropriate it or redistribute it. That's against the law of God. But to make those things idols is a horrible sin. And the real tragedy of it is that idols will not do what we want them to do. When we make something or someone into an idol, we want them to fill the wounds in our hearts. St. Augustine had a, a saying, and I always have to paraphrase it because I've never memorized it. That our our hearts are... are, We're born with a hole in our heart. And we're only satisfied when God fills it. We all come into this world as damaged goods. We're born in sin. We're conceived in sin. And then as we grow older, we accrue more and more hurts as time goes by. Events happen in our lives that scar us. People come into our lives that hurt us. And we give as good as we get some of us are uh, even more so have done more some of us have given out more damage than we've received some people are just have a better aptitude at hurting other people intentionally or unintentionally But when we make something into an idol, we are trying to satisfy our deepest longings. We want our hearts to be calmed. We want our hearts to be softened. We want our our needs, our deepest needs and our deepest wants, we want them to be satisfied. If you're hungry, physically hungry, you haven't eaten in a few days, and you have a choice between something that is healthy, and something that is clearly not healthy. Both of them might fill you up, but it's a wiser choice to eat something that is healthy, even if it doesn't taste quite as sweet as the apple pie or whatever you choose. And you can live a long time on apple pie and milk. You won't starve to death, but you will be severely malnourished. It's a little different when we make idols into things. Because even if you should have chosen the steak and potatoes and you picked the apple pie and the chocolate milk, if you're hungry, the apple pie and the chocolate milk will actually satisfy your hunger. Believe me, it will. And you know that. If you don't like apple pies, substitute blueberries, strawberry donuts, whatever you like. Potato chips. They will satisfy your hunger. They'll fill your belly. An idol will not do that. Not for very long. Not for very long. They are a temporary relief. They are like putting a band-aid on a bleeding artery. They will not get the job done. It will never happen. You may want a particular job. You may want a particular person. You may want a particular position in an organization. And if you get those things, and they might be good and honorable things in themselves. This is what's scary about it. I'm talking about evil things. I'm talking about things that are lawful. It is lawful for you to have a car. Not just in the state of Pennsylvania, but from God. You're allowed to have a means of transportation. You actually kind of need it. You can't steal cars. I'm not talking here about someone who wants a car, refuses to work for it, and steals it. They've made the car into an idol, but they've gone way off track. I'm talking about us. We want something. We need something. It's legitimate. And we use legitimate means to acquire it. But if we turn that thing that is legitimate, or even the means by which to get those things that are legitimate, if we turn them into idols, they are sinful. Many, many young men think much, much harder about their first car than they do about the type of wife they want to have when they're older. It may come as a shock to some of you gals, but it is the truth. You can turn physical things into idols, just like that. I was never a young lady, so I don't know exactly what young ladies worship as idols, clothes, I don't know. Men worship clothes. Worship almost anything. Think of something in your life that you take an inordinate pride in. I shared some time back with the Sunday evening crowd that I used to have this pen. A pen. It was nicer looking than this pen. But you know what? They did the same thing. They had ink in them, and they I was able to use them as a implement of writing. And my writing is no great chase. You really can't read my handwriting very well. Some of you are laughing. If I send you a note, you might think, this is Egyptian hieroglyphics. But this was a fancy pen that ironically didn't even write very well. It was a fountain pen. I had trouble controlling the ink. I would use it wrongly, and blotches would go all over the place. It was fat. It actually hurt my fingers. But I loved the way that thing looked. And I loved taking it slowly out of my suit jacket and opening it up and putting the, what do you call the top of the pen, the top of the pen onto the back and signing papers with it. I was young and very foolish. It was a pen. It was a pen. It's not that big of a deal. A 30 cent Vic pen actually did the job better. But I turned that little thing into an idol. We do those things all the time. Here's how you can tell. If you're doing something and other people are involved and other people will witness it. And you're overly concerned with how they view what you're doing or the product of it. And I said overly concerned then you might be in the territory of idols. If you're having a dinner party, you do want things to go well. I've never made a souffle, but I've been told that they are very difficult to actually make. That they, they don't rise, they don't fluff up, whatever it's called, they're hard to make. You do want things to go well. There's nothing wrong with that if you have people over to your home. You want to be a good host, hostess. But if you're turning the gala, the little gathering, into something that it is not, and only you can tell if you are, and if you're wondering if you are, then there's probably a better than even chance that you have. I mean, if the souffle doesn't rise, doesn't fluff up, it's not exactly a disaster of epic proportions. What will my guests think of me? The souffle didn't work. Get something else. I don't know. What are the idols in your life? You don't have to look much past your front door. For the people in your immediate life. Your job. You don't have to look very far. You can turn good things into idols. This is what's scary. A pastor can easily turn his ministry into an idol. Easily can. You can turn your Christian reputation, if you're a ruling elder or deacon, you can turn that into an idol. How am I perceived by the community that I serve? There's certainly nothing wrong with wanting a good reputation. Desiring a bad reputation, ironically, can be made into an idol by really sick people. You can turn sins into idols. Anything John Calvin called the human heart an idol factory, literally. Anything that's good can be turned into an idol. Certainly anything sinful can be turned into an idol. There are criminals who want to be known in their world as being the most notorious criminal in their little branch of criminality. They want to be the biggest drug dealer on the earth or whatever. Not only are they doing something illegal and immoral, but now they've turned it into an idol because they want to get their name in the paper. I've worked with young men in the criminal justice system who were like that. I remember one young man in particular. His older brother was a notorious drug trafficker in western Michigan. And he at that time, the older brother was paying the price for that. 20 to 25 in Jackson State Prison, this young man that I worked with desperately wanted to live up to his older brother's reputation, and myself and my fellow workers tried to tell him, this is not this is not what you want. You're turning your brother's reputation into an idol. I may not have used those words, but that is not something to aspire to, but he did, and he didn't live past age 17. Within two months of him being discharged from our program, he was gone. And his mother had now lost two sons. Because if your son's in prison, he's pretty much gone. He had turned his brother's evil and notorious reputation into something that he coveted. There's a reason why that last commandment is what I call the invisible commandment. Thou shalt not covet. Because that is a commandment that you can break and nobody will ever know it unless you tell them that you're breaking it. You can hide that one. You can hide other things too, but eventually you will be found out. You will be. But coveting, you could do that all your life and no one would ever know. No one but you and God. So what do you covet in your life? That's the best place to start looking for the little idols in your life. And what you'll notice is those little idols in your life, they are what's blocking you from leading a joyful Christian life. They don't do what we want them to do. You know how fun it is when you go into a car and you want it to start and it doesn't? That's not a fun experience. Or when you go to turn on the water and something's gone wrong and there's there's no water. You go to turn on the lights and there's no lights. It's not a fun experience. An idol will dissatisfy you. No matter how hard you try and make it come alive. And what's very dangerous is that sometimes God allows us to have our idols. And he uses our idols as means of disciplining us and waking us up. And the idol will start as something small. And then it will be almost like, well, like a transformer. It will, just, it will get bigger and bigger. You start out with one Lego piece, and you put another on top. Or a dollhouse, you know, you put, put one piece together and then another piece and another piece. Before you know what it, it's big and then it's a kingdom. If you don't check the idols in your life, they will grow. They will mutate. They will become bigger. And they will become so big that you will not be able to carry them. And they will weigh you down. And they will become means by God disciplining you. Because you will achieve that position and it will leave you with a feeling of hollowness in your heart. You will get whatever it is you want and after a while the sheen will wear off and you'll need something else. Idols become like drugs. You begin with a small thing and then you need more and more and more. And idols are never satisfied. They will always want more of your life. And the bitter irony of it is that we as Christians have been given the mind of Christ. We have been given the mind of Christ. We have been given the Spirit by whom we can discern these things. And yet we fall prey to them. We fall prey to them primarily because we are not doing what Paul has encouraged us to do in Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Paul does not say be transformed by the renewing and healing of your emotions or even your bodies. Even though in the previous verse he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices unto God, which is your reasonable service. And you can easily translate that passage, Romans 12, as your logical service. Paul calls for us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because our minds are in charge of what we do. But many of us allow our minds to go on automatic pilots, on cruise control. And we wind up doing things we said, I did that, I wasn't even thinking. And literally that is very often a true statement. I did it and I didn't even think about it. Well, yes, that's exactly the problem. You didn't think before you did it. Kids, you're going to say that sometime in the next six months. I didn't think about it, Dad. I didn't think about it, Mom. And they're telling the truth. They didn't. They didn't think about it. If you had thought, you would have been able to reason, that "Mm, I'm not allowed to do this. Shouldn't do it. It's a fifth commandment violation. If I do it, I might get caught and even get punished. I might get my electronics taken away, get some privileges taken away, and then maybe you'd be able to make a rational choice. But if you just plunge right on in and not think about it, that becomes a bad habit. Our minds are what separate us from the animals. Our minds are where the image of God truly resides. We can reason things through. We can think things through. We can say A is A and B is B. And somehow they do not combine. We can figure things out. Yes, animals can do all kinds of amazing things, but they cannot reason. They cannot be transformed by the renewing of their minds. They can't do that as a conscious decision. You have that ability as a Christian. You have a super ability to do that because you already have the mind of Christ. Paul also writes in 2 Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind is the mark of a Christian as well as a spirit of power and a spirit of love. Do you have a sound mind? The idols in your life will show you how sound you are thinking because when we think about it, if we just take a step back and we realize, what big deal? It's a promotion. Promotion might be important. You might get more money, which is important. You want to put better bread on the table for your family. You want to pay off some bills. It's not a problem. But if you turn it into an idol, you're really not thinking it through. You're not thinking, well, what, what is it actually going to do for me? And again, I have to warn you, I'm not talking about legitimate things that we set a goal for and go after them. That's fine. They have to do that. But if they become more than they are. You see, the antidote to something become an idol is you use it as a means of glorifying God. That's the trick. That's the key. Take a promotion, for example, or anything like that. If you consciously try to have something like that in your life be used as a tool to glorify God, then you will effectively eliminate the possibility of it becoming an idol because now the glory of the living God is your goal. You want this thing or you want this level of success so that... You can bring glory to God. Now, the the pitfall is, is we often say that that's what we want, but we don't. We actually just want the promotion. We just want the promotion. This calls for self-reflection. And a lot of folks just aren't very good at it. We're unpracticed at it because it takes some time. It takes some time. John is telling us, he's begging us, keep ourselves from idols. This is your Christian life. This is what it is all about. What are the idols in your life? Figure out what they are. And then tear them down. Tear them down and don't ever bring them back. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, God, we ask that you would show us what we are worshiping that is false. And that you would give us the grace we need to abstain from those practices and to remove them from our lives and to bring glory to your perfect and holy name. Amen.